Bet Elul, Taf Shin, Ayin Chet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
יוני גנות, כתר מלוכה, also known as ויעתיו, from the liturgy of the ימים נוראים. And he was joined by Ilan Damari, Roe Edri, and Yishai Rebo, all joining together in praising the Lord. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to this week's edition of The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. We're here on the Nachum Siegel Network each and every Monday, immediately following Jamie the AM, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time, around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's what time we're on. And available, of course, please tell your friends, tell everybody, and tell yourself, in case you're interested, that we are available on demand. Whenever you'd like to listen to us, you can listen to us. It's an amazing uh, technology that we live in in this world of ours. You are not bound by time anymore. You can just go into the Nachum Siegel Network app, go into the archives, go to the Israel Show, and download into your device, which you carry in your pocket, an hour's worth of great Jewish programming, no, more than an hour's worth, hours worth. The show is one hour, but there are many other shows and great Jewish programming throughout. And you can go to NachumSiegel.com and do the same thing. Listen live, go to the archives, Israel show, download it when you're in a Wi-Fi area, so you're downloading it into your device for free and listen in the car. Isn't that amazing? What a world, what a world, what a world. We have, uh, wow, a very sensitive topic to talk about. The current Israeli IDF chief of staff, Gadi Eisenkot, his term of office is ending. And now the government, meaning basically the prime minister and the defense minister, pick a replacement, a new chief of staff for the IDF, a new Ramat Kal. Rosh Mateh HaKlali. And it is said that there are basically at this point four candidates. And one of the leading ones is Yair Golan, who is currently this Ghana Ramadkal, Deputy Chief of Staff. People who live in Israel probably are familiar with uh, rather shocking words that he said two years ago on Yom HaShoah, on Holocaust Memorial Day, and there are other things that he has voiced in public which put him in a uh, political light that many object to. And so in Israel, a lot of this controversy is going on, and we're going to share some of it with you without being hopefully judgmental, because there's no way that we could possibly judge a man who's um, given his life to the security of the state of Israel and the people of Israel, the land of Israel. We will also share with you the story that happened 140 years ago, exactly. I don't mean to the day, but exactly around this time, 140 years ago. When for what we would call today Haredim, Religious Jews of the Yishuv Hayashan, 
went looking to get off of the dole, to get off the charity dole, and start making a livelihood for themselves by buying land and uh, growing stuff, agriculture. 140 years ago. It's a fascinating story. And wait till you hear not only the story of where this place was and what it looked like when they got there. Wait till you hear what it is today. Lots of interesting stuff. We'll talk a little bit about SodaStream. How, how can we not talk about SodaStream? This um, story broke this morning. So great to be live. SodaStream is an Israeli company. I, I'm assuming many of you are familiar with it. Uh, you, may, you, you can make flavored soda with it or non-flavored soda. Not a new technology, but they made it easy and nice uh, with a little machine and everything. Very cool. Flavors. The company grew. And Pepsi, PepsiCo, which is the mother of, uh, of Pepsi, a huge, humongous U.S. company, bought... SodaStream. Now, until now, I don't think anyone would be surprised if I would tell you that SodaStream was some high-tech company that an American high-tech company bought it out. No, but SodaStream is not a high-tech company. It manufactures a, a, a food product, so to speak. And that, too, is being bought out, just like Waze and so many of the other big buyouts of high-tech companies, PepsiCo decided to buy SodaStream. For how much? Oh, my gosh. $3.2 billion, with a B, dollars. It's a testament to the strength of Israel, of its economy, of its people, the tenacity that they have and quite frankly it's a sweet revenge and here's why a few years back SodaStream advertised in the United States I believe at, uh, on the Super Bowl which is you know the advertising venue famous actress Scarlett Johansson represented them and then the BDS Boycott Divest sanction movement, which is a vile movement that is trying to bring Israel to its knees, or let's just say destroy Israel possibly, by economic sanctions, similar to what happened in South Africa, where it worked. BDS made a big ruckus over SodaStream, saying that because it was located in Maledumim, which is, according to their viewpoint, quote-unquote, occupied territories, people should not buy SodaStream. They started this whole campaign, and Scarlett Johansson was very good. She stood up for the company. And the company, there were, there were many write-ups and reports that the company employs many, many, I believe hundreds of Palestinian Arabs whose livelihood would be hurt if these idiot BDS people would be listened to. 
ultimately, the company sort of caved and they moved. They moved their entire factory, their entire operation, to an area in the south that was, quote-unquote, inside the Green Line. And many of those Palestinian Arabs who lived near Ma'ala Dumim, who worked there, either had to travel a very long way or just were out of a job. So the sweet revenge, you know, there's always justice in the world. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. We say in Avinu Malkeinu, Nekom le'eneinu nikmat damavadevcha hashafuch, lahavdil. We ask God that he revenge the blood of his uh, servants, of his people, that has been spilled. But we We want to see it. There's something about seeing God taking revenge and knowing that God is behind us. This is the sweet revenge, Lahavdil of Soda Stream. The BDS tried its best to shut it down. And now PepsiCo bought it for $3.2 billion. Kol Hakavod. To the state of Israel, to the founders and owners of Soda Stream, and to the people that work there, Mazal Tov to all. Brand new music from Mati Shriki. Very interesting uh, young man. We debuted him a few years already. I think he's now starting to be well known and uh, be out there a little more. What's interesting about him is that he has a stutter. And he talks about how, when he sings, he doesn't stutter. It's an interesting phenomenon. I'm sure many of the um, um, therapists, um, speech therapists out there are familiar with this concept. The name of the song just came out yesterday. It's called Im, If. Im haiti navad, if I was a wanderer of loyalty by it and I didn't have a home. Im haita ahavav loyadati mahi, if there was love and I didn't know what it was. If the morning has passed and I haven't smiled at you, if you felt that I wasn't listening or wasn't tuned in to what you were saying and I just continued on. Now the sun is rising again. Let us get up and see don't ask too many questions, because if we ask too many questions, we'll know less. And it continues. Im, really nice. I like it. Mati Shriki, debuting here. Brand new music. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Debuting right here on the Israel Show. Im. Mati Shriki. Great stuff. I've really um, just heard it a couple of times that I really like it. Uh, and he does have some great music out there. We've played his, uh, his songs now for a while. The link to this song, as well as the other songs that we play during the show will appear on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel Show. A little bit after the show is over, we'll link to there, including um, articles about some of what we will be discussing as well. So please keep liking the Israel Show posts. And if you know someone who hasn't liked the page yet, it would be great if you would encourage them to do so. Share Share the posts with your friends, and they share with their friends, and that's how it works. So this is a difficult conversation that we're going to have. It's difficult for me because it it is a discussion about a person who has dedicated his life to his service in the IDF and the Israel Defense Forces. He is an amazing fighter and commander who has been in many wars put his life on the line for the state of Israel many times. 
and who today is the deputy chief of staff. His name is Yair Golan. Two years ago on Holocaust Memorial Day, he gave a speech, short. Well, actually, we can post the speech in Hebrew and um, a a crude, um, I would say, translation of it into English. We can post that on our Facebook page afterwards. He gave a speech which shocked and rocked Israeli public opinion. So I'm going to read the appropriate paragraphs from the speech. And uh, we'll also play for you the specific clip that rocked and shocked the nation of Israel when it was said on Yom HaShoah 2016, Holocaust Memorial Day, by Deputy Chief of Staff Yair Golan. HaShoah Be'inai, this is uh, the third paragraph of his speech, HaShoah Be'inai, the Holocaust, in my opinion, must bring us to deep reflection about the nature of man. Even when this person is us ourselves, meaning we have to have introspection about things when we think about the Holocaust, about things Holocaust. It should lead us to deep reflections on the responsibility of leadership. The quality of our society. So when thinking about the Holocaust, we have to think about how it happened. What kind of leadership was there? And what kind of society was there that ended up bringing about the Holocaust. And it must lead us to a fundamental thinking. How we, here and now, treat the other, the orphan, the widow, what we would say today, the underprivileged, those that are the weakest link in our society. The Torah uses that term all the time, because they were the weakest strata in the society. So we're not talking specifically only about a stranger, a non-Jew, if you will, who lives amongst us, an orphan and a widow. We're talking about those who are helpless in society. That is what the Shoah, the Holocaust, should invoke in our brain, in our thoughts, how we deal with those. The Holocaust must lead us to think about our public life. It must lead everybody. The Holocaust must lead us to think about our public life, and even more, it must lead everyone who can, not only those who want, to bear public responsibility. Because as we know, as we have uh, 
learned the only thing needed for evil to persist, to ev- for evil to win, is for good people to stay silent. And so he's saying, when we think about the Holocaust, we have to think about the responsibility of the leadership as well. And here, here comes the paragraph that stunned the people of Israel, and this is the thing that brought him to the uh, attention of the uh, of the majority of of Israeli populace. I don't think anybody really heard of him before. I'll read it and then I'll play the clip so you can hear it in his own voice. It's not the greatest of recordings. So that's why I prefer to read it first. If there is something that frightens us in the memory of the in our mem- remembering the Holocaust, it is the identification of horrifying processes that took place in Europe. Uve Germania befrat and in Germany in particular, as, then, lifnei shivim, shmonim, tishim shana, then, 70, 80, 90 years ago, umetziyat eidut lahem kan bekirbenu hayom ba'alpayim v'sheshesrei. And finding evidence of these same processes here in our midst, now in 2016. What he's saying in a bit of a roundabout way is the fascism, the hatred that existed in Europe, but in Germany specifically, let's say in the 1930s, the early 30s, as Hitler was rising, and the mid-30s, we find evidence for them here in our midst in Israel in 2016. Could that be? That he's comparing Israeli society to the Nazi society? After all, there is nothing easier than hating the stranger, the, the one who's different. There's nothing easier and simpler than to create fear and anxiety. It is no easier, there is nothing easier than being animal-like and self-righteous. Clearly, he is calling out the Israeli leadership and those that follow it. This is two years ago. Today, they would just pile on even more of being somewhat fascist, somewhat anti-democratic, somewhat similar to what Nazis were like in Germany in the 30s. Here is, um, here is the clip. It's only 32 seconds. It's of that first paragraph that I was saying. Ki im yesh mashuhu. 
יש משהו שמפחיד אותי בזיכרון השואה, נזמים תהליכים ירוני חלחלה, שהתרחשו באירופה בכלל וגרמניה בפרט, אז לפני 70, 80 ו-90 שנה, נשיאת עדות להם כאן בקרבנו היום, ב-2016. הרי אין קל ביותר ופשוט יותר. לשנוא את הזהב, אין יותר קל ופשוט מלעורר חרדות ולהלך אימים. אין יותר קל ופשוט מהתבהמות, התקרבות והתחזקות. There's nothing easier than to create anxiety and fear, <clears throat> similar to what um, those who were against Netanyahu said when he when he said, "Oh, the Arabs are racing to the ballot boxes. Everybody's got to go out there and vote so that we don't lose our majority." The Arabs are terrorists. The enemy has to be dealt with. All these populist thoughts that he thinks are fascistic, I'm sure that he would consider the... I, I, I can't speak in his name, but I, I, I would have to say that he would see the nation-state laws part of the same idea, this Nazi-like idea. Ron Lauder, head of the World Jewish Congress, former president of the President's Conference, has done great work in Eastern Europe for the Jewish community, started recently publishing the New York Times articles attacking Israel, And that's basically uh, his line. This seems to be the talking points of those who are not anti-Israel. We can't say that. But they see in Netanyahu and in his continued governance the end of democracy, the beginning of fascism, blah, blah, blah. That's scary. And don't you think that it would be scary that this person becomes chief of staff? This was a speech that he worked on. This is not something that was off the cuff. He worked on it and worked on it, and he says, and he even says he, 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 he wouldn't back off of it when he was confronted It's troubling. Is he a great soldier? Of course he is. A great commander? Of course he is. What kind of spirit will he bring to the IDF? I don't know. That's a difficult question. We'll go to some music, then we'll come back with another quote of his that was caught on tape. Earlier, earlier than this uh, 2016 one, about 10 years before that, in 2006, I don't believe he knew that he was being recorded, but it is very fascinating and eye-opening to hear 
what he was saying even back in 2006. Before we do that, we'll go to some music. Shfal Ruach from the Sephardic liturgy of Yom Kippur. Beautiful melody, amazing words written by the great Rip Shlomo Ibn Gabirol. Music by Ilan Damari and sung by the Madre Goat, Shafal Ruach. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Fire, fire, fire. 
Hamadrigot Shafal Ruach. What a gorgeous song that is. We're talking about Yair Golan, the Deputy Chief of State of the Israeli Defense Forces, who is one of the four candidates, it is said, for uh, replacing the current Chief of Staff, Gadi Eisenkot. In 2006, he met with young men, mainly from Yudan Shamron, who were not yet in the army, but were about to join. And he, one of the topics he discussed with them is um, what's called Tohar HaNeshek in Hebrew. And it basically means when you use your weaponry, you must use it in a way that is pure. Not to hurt civilians, not to kill those who shouldn't be killed, only to uh, open fire at the enemy. But of course there's a very difficult line, and I, I can't even imagine what that is like. It's hard for me to talk about it even. And he discusses in this conversation that he's having with those about to be drafted how you have to hold back when using power, the power that you have you should use it in a limited way the minimum that is necessary he says I'm I'm not a vegan so to speak, meaning I'm not parva I haven't reached my position because I uh, had sympathy for the enemy. When there was need to kill, I killed in the best possible way. But then again, there is absolutely no justification, he says, for taking the life of a person, of a human being, that is a non-combatant, as they say in English. Think about it. Tomorrow it could be your son, your daughter, your brother, your parents. Biltin is bal. It's unbearable, it's unthinkable. That we will take human life unjustly. Now, of course, the question is, where's the line? When dealing with a terror group that hides among civilians, where's the line? Do you let the terrorist go because the civilian may be hurt? And here's the quote. Therefore, if a military unit has to take risks, in order not to hurt those uninvolved, meaning civilian populations, that are, population that's amidst the terrorists, Yes, the military will take risks in order not to harm the uninvolved. But if it only has to hit, meaning if it has to hit only terrorists, it will do it in the best possible way. Meaning, the Israeli army 
has to put itself at risk in order not to hurt a civilian that the Hamas is hiding amongst. That's hard to hear. And then one of the students asks, Ma Kavanaz Rahim, what do you mean uninvolved uh, you know, citizens and so forth? The, the, the family of the terrorists? Yair Golan says yes. And here again is the, the part that is shocking to me and to so many in Israel. Another student asks, Vimzi Yiye O Ezrahim O Chaylim Shel Chamat Ta'adif. You have a choice now. You can either risk hurting a civilian that is amongst the enemy, or to put your soldiers at risk, meaning you take a gamble, and in order to save an Arab civilian, you risk the possibility of one of your soldiers getting killed. And Golan says, Ezrachim. I will prefer the Arab civilian over the soldier. Here's a recording of the quote. You can hear it for yourselves. ולכן, אם יחידה צבאית צריכה לפצול סיכונים על מנת לא לפגוע בבלתי מעורבים, כן, היא תיקח סיכונים על מנת לא לפגוע בבלתי מעורבים. אבל, אם היא צריכה לפגוע רק במחבלים, תעשה את זה בצורה הכי בטוחה שיש. מה קורה לאזרחים? לא נשפחה כאילו? כן. ואם זה יהיה עוד דרכים או החיילים שלך, מה אתה תעדיף? אזרחים? זה... But that was the student saying, "V'im ze'yeh o ezrachim o chaylin shchamat hadatif," and he says, "Ezrachim, I would prefer to take a chance and not hurt an Arab civilian, and take a chance that one of my soldiers will be hurt or killed." Does any of this disqualify him from being the chief of staff? Obviously not. Obviously, I. I'm probably the last person in the world that could be uh, could make a judgment in this area. And I'm bringing it to your attention only because I think it's important for us to know. I think in Israel they're more aware of this. And our Israeli listeners are probably familiar with some of this. But I don't think that here in the United States we're aware of this strand of thinking that exists in the Israeli Defense Forces as we see in the highest echelons. How do we deal with it? That's up to the Israelis. They will deal with it. Okay. Um, We promised you and we hope will make it through this we promised you a story that um, to tell you the story 
that took place 140 years ago, the summer 140 years ago, 1878. At the time, the Jews that lived in Eretz Yisrael were basically the Yeshuvah Yashan, mainly Sephardic Jews or Ashkenazic Jews that were part of the Talmidei Hagra, the students that the Gona Vilna sent to go and live and build up Israel. The Ashkenazi community, the Yishuv HaYashan, lived off something called the Chalukah, which was a charity, basically. It was a fund where people collected money in Europe and gave it out to those living in Israel and learning Torah as a schut for those who gave the charity. They wanted there to be people living in Israel and learning Torah. But then there came a time when some of the younger members of this community felt that they can no longer live off of charity and they have to go to work. What was work in those days? Well, one of the main areas was agriculture. You took a plot of land, you developed it, and you ate from the produce or you sold the produce. So this group, the best known of them, was Yoel Moshe Solomon from the famous Solomons, again from the Talmidei Hagra, led what was then a, a revolution in the Haredi community. I was looking at a picture of uh, Yoel Moshe Solomon from Wikipedia. Big black yarmulke, long beard, payas. Another one of the group that we're talking about was someone by the name of Zerach Barnett. There's a street named after him in Harnof. Again, an Orthodox Jewish businessman, a Talmud Chacham, who came from Eastern Europe. White beard, typical look of a Haredi. And they revolted against the older generation and decided that they were going to go out there and find some land and start working the land and making a living off of that. And it took a while. It took a while. They tried different places. They didn't work out. And finally they heard about an Arab village called Umlabis. And that there was land that one of the local Arabs was willing to sell. In 1878 the Arabs didn't have a thought about a Palestinian nation or people they didn't have a problem selling land to Jews so they decided they're going to go out and check it out after numerous other attempts in different places they're going to check out this piece of land this group Zerach Barnett David Gutman Elazar Rab his son Yehuda, Yoel Moshe Solomon as we said and Yehoshua Stemfer. 
Michalay Katz, Zanger, and Rabbi Aryele Prumkin. They got together in Yafo and they made their way up several times to go to see this land. They took with them a well-known Greek doctor who lived in, in Palestine, Israel at the time. His name was Mazaraki or Azaraki. Because they wanted, some people felt that the land wasn't so healthy. If we would buy that land, maybe there were health issues, there was malaria, there was there were just terrible conditions in those days. Swamps. So they took him along as well. They went several times. The first time they went, the others were so put off by the situation, how desperate it was, how horrible the conditions were, that they left. But Yoel Moshe Solomon decided that he was going to stay there overnight in Umlabis. Then he went back and he got them to go again. And he took this Dr. Mazaraki with him, and Dr. Mazaraki said, no, I don't think this is a good place. I don't think that you could live here safely in in a healthy life. The air here isn't good, all kinds of things. But these innovators of the time decided that they're going to go for it anyway. And so they bought the land... And they started this little town. They approached Baron Wolfchild for funding, and he was happy to give it. And that's how they started. In the middle of nowhere, with a few acres of land, with a fear of malaria... Surrounded by swamps that needed to be drained. Can you just imagine this group of Haredim? Just imagine a typical group of Hasidim. Their long coats and long beards going out to some never-never land in horrific conditions and saying, this is the land of Israel and we're going to cultivate it and we're going to live off of it. No more charity. We're going to make our livelihoods by cultivating the land. That town is now the city of Petah Tikva, as many of you probably figured out by now. And that's how Petah Tikva was founded this summer, 140 years ago. It was on Tuba'av that they purchased the land. Now a lot of people know about this for one reason. And it's so amazing how things go in this world. Yoram Tarlev wrote a song called The Ballad for Yoel, of Yoel Moshe Solomon and His Three Friends. That's the official name of the song. Habalad al Yoel Moshe Solomon. It is very famous. It was made famous by Eric Einstein who sang it 
It was composed by Shalom Hanoch. It was an, uh, initially released on an album called Shavlul. Now, in a song, you, you can't obviously bring every single detail in. So, Yoram Tarlev sort of played around. It's like when they say the movie version, it's um, based on <laughs> based on real occurrences, or right? Based on a true story. So the song is based on a true story, but it leaves out some things. But being that the song became so popular, this is the way most people in Israel know the story of Petach Tikva. He only talks about one time that they went together with Mazaraki. There were actually more than one. He doesn't talk about how the efforts that they did before, made before. He based his songs on the account that was written by Yoel Moshe Solomon's son, Tuvia, in 1929. And obviously, he has his father as the hero. The family of the others are always complaining that their forefathers are being dealt with unjustly because of the song. It's crazy how history happens. So we celebrate today, and we'll end off the show with that famous song. We celebrate today, 140 years ago, at Tziranavim, the time that the grapes were being cut from the vines. That's this time, that's now, as the song mentions. How four Haridim rebelled against the old Yishuv, went out of Yerushalayim and decided to fend for themselves and to start an agricultural venture in the land of Israel, which ultimately turned into something that they could probably never imagine as imaginative as they were. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of Nachum Siegel Network. My very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up, Yoni Pollock with after further review covering the latest in the world of sports. And then Novik now with Jake Novik, who will discuss PepsiCo's purchase of SodaStream. And then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie Dam, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh, no, they're just running in a different race.